Give God some praise, church. This morning we have a family that's about to leave on a missions trip and they've asked for prayer from the church body so they're going to come and get into place. And the daughter of this family has a friend who is a pastor's daughter who is undergoing some really strong physical difficulties. And so in this prayer we're also going to pray for this young lady and for this pastor's family. Satan likes to fight against ministers families pastors families and so we want to uphold them in prayer i wonder if there's anybody else that needs just to be part of a special prayer today maybe you're going through something maybe you're in a storm in your life right now maybe you need to make sure that your house is built upon that rock as julia talked about maybe things are shaking around you and you're struggling to trust in the lord i just wonder if there's anybody who would like to just join them come up beside them and just say i need special prayer this morning too you're welcome to come forward. You're welcome to join in this. There's power in prayer. There's power in the name of Jesus. Brent Tysinger can't do much for you, but God can do everything for you. And so we want anybody else who'd like to come, you're welcome to come at this time. And anybody who would like to come and join around them in support, lay hands on them and just show them that their church family is supporting them. I know that John is coming again because his wife, Dean, is going to undergo some testing, some further testing, and we prayed about that last week. But we want to pray again and continue to go to the throne of grace to find help in our time of need. Do you love God this morning? Do you believe that we serve a good God this morning? Amen. Let's pray together, church. Heavenly Father, we come before you, God, and we are so thankful for who you are. We are so thankful that we get to build our house upon the rock. Lord, there's shifting sand all around us, but there is a firm foundation. It's who you are. It's what you've said. It's what you've done. God, we place our faith in you today. We believe, God, and I pray that any spots of unbelief that we have, God, you would help us with those this morning. God, you would help us to be people who trust in you. Lord, sometimes I have the privilege and sometimes the burden of knowing what people are going through that maybe not everybody in this congregation knows. And God, I I know some of the struggles that folks are going through in this congregation. But God, you know way more than I do. And God, I think we could easily spend the rest of our time today uncovering those struggles and trying to understand those struggles but God I am thankful that I serve a God who already knows not only do I serve a God who already knows I serve a God who cares cares about our afflictions cares about our brokenness even when it seems like God you're distant you're there you're a friend that sticks closer than a brother and we are so thankful for who you are and what you mean to us God, we are thankful that, God, you could do anything because you're God, but we are so thankful that you chose to use your church to reach the world with the gospel. And we're thankful, God, that there exists a great commission to take the good news into all creation. And, God, we are thankful for this family this morning that is stepping out. They're going on a short-term missions trip, God. They're, They're going to step out and take the gospel to another place. They're doing what you commanded us to do, God, and we are so thankful for their example. We're thankful for their boldness. We're thankful for their faith and their trust in you. And so, God, this morning we just come and we ask for favor upon them. God, we ask for fruit. It would not be a fruitless trip, but it would be a fruitful trip. That, God, people would get saved through this ministry. God, that the world would be touched through this ministry. God, that this area this country would be changed because of the ministry that goes on we pray for protection during the flight we pray for protection on the ground we pray for protection in the return protect them physically mentally spiritually and always God and we we come this morning we pray in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit God and we just ask for an amazing unction of your Holy Spirit on this trip and now God for Anna Grace, this young lady that is, her friend is standing in for her, God. 
what an amazing example to see one of our youth standing in for one of their friends and saying they believe that God can touch. And God, we, we know about all the difficulty that's going on this week. And God, we know that even though her father is a pastor and she's part of a pastor's family, that this young lady, no doubt there's fear for her and fear for her family. Satan trying to come in against them, God. But we declare that you are going to bring healing. And we declare that you are going to make whole. And we believe and we trust in you that you're going to work all things to the good of those who love you and are called according to your purpose, God. Show them something new through this. Show them how wonderful and powerful you are. We pray this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And then we just come this morning, God. We ask that you would bless John and his family. As his wife, Dean, is no doubt nervous about the tests that are coming up and, and just waiting and wondering what's going to go on, God. And, and, and the great thing is you're already there. You already know. And God, you can do all things. Lord, if you want to work through the doctors to bring healing, you can do that. But God, if you want to touch and miraculously make this place disappear, God, you can do that as well. We trust and we believe. And so we just pray for comfort and peace, a peace of mind that passes all understanding this morning. God, thank you for who you are. God, I thank you that one day you're going to heal us completely. One day we're going to be glorified as Jesus was when he rose from the dead. We're going to have a, a glorified body. We're not going to have any more infirmities or weaknesses or sin to tempt us, God. We're going to be like Jesus. And God, I thank you that you start that process now. God, that you call us not just to a moment, but you call us to a walk. You call us to a journey. You call us to change and be conformed in the image of Jesus Christ. And I'm thankful for what the one writer said, Lord, what you don't finish in this world, you'll finish in the next. But God, we thank you that one day we're going to be completely healed. One day this world is going to be put back right. One day the enemy is going to be removed, destroyed, kept away from us. He will not be able to affect us anymore. But Lord, we live right now in that period of the already and the not yet. Already your kingdom has come, but not yet has it come in the fullness that we'll see one day. Help us to live well. Help us to seek you. Help us to build our house upon the rock. God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the Holy Spirit. We thank you for your presence here this morning. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Rushwood said together, amen. Let it be so. Thank you for so much for praying with us this morning. If you haven't been seated, you may be seated. Um, such a privilege to pray. God's word never tells us that his house is to be a house of preaching or fellowship or those sort of things. Tells us that his house is to be a house of prayer. And I pray that God would increase the prayerfulness of this house. A um, couple of things I need to mention that are just a little bit off a of topic, but I need, I need to mention these before I forget them. Uh, Awanas will have a meeting after church next Sunday. Our Awanas program will start back on August the 7th. And so those who are currently serving in Awanas, we need you to be part of that meeting. And if you're interested, and we need some more folks who are interested in serving our Awanas program on Wednesday night, we'd ask that you be part of that meeting. It will be right after service next week. If you can't be here, or if you're watching online and you're not here and you're not going to be able to be here, uh, talk to Jennifer Walker and she will give you more information on that. But that will happen next Sunday after service. We've also had some folks ask about these dudes on, sitting on the stools over here, what's going on with that? These guys are part of our security team, and um, while I'm preaching, there's one set of eyes on this entire congregation, and that's mine, and I'm preaching. So I'm not paying attention to if somebody needs help or if there's a problem, if there's an issue. And so we found out through contact with other churches that best practices as far as security is to have folks posted at the front to kind of oversee the congregation. Aren't you thankful for these guys volunteering, watching out for us? 
and there's all sorts of issues that can arise, and so we're thankful to have their set of eyes overseeing the congregation and uh, while I'm preaching and, and while we're worshiping, just making sure that everything is as it should be. And so we're so thankful for our security team. In fact, there are um, sheriff's departments, police departments that point to this church and say, Rushwood Church in Ashborough is a model of what security should look like at a church. And so we're thankful for those who have led that and worked with that, and we're thankful for those that volunteer in that area. Uh, this morning I wanted to tell you something good, and I was trying to think what I could tell you, what I could share with you to start off our service today as something good. And I think what I wanted to highlight, by the way, I just want to praise God. As of July 3rd, this starts my ninth year here as your pastor, as your lead pastor. I served for a while. Uh, thank you, guys. I appreciate it. I served for a while when I was younger as assistant pastor here, as a volunteer, and then I pastored in Trinity for about four and a half years. And so God has brought me back here, and I've been here for nine years, and it seems amazing to say that. Um, but I just want to give God praise for that, that uh, he has brought me through all sorts of things and brought us through all sorts of things. And I, it is a deep honor to be your pastor. I love to be your pastor. I, you know, I'm not the greatest, I'm not the best, I'm not the smartest, I'm not the brightest, but I just love to serve, and I, I love to be able to serve in this capacity. But one thing I wanted to highlight is, is something that we're hearing more and more, and I, I, you know, in the Bible there's good pride and there's bad pride. There's a pride that's selfish and sinful and ugly and it goes before a fall and all of that, but there's also a pride that's a positive thing. It's a pride that doesn't point to us as much as it points to God, and it praises Him for what He's done. And I just want to tell you, I'm proud of you guys as a congregation, because what we hear more and more from people, and this may not have necessarily been that way nine or ten years ago, but we hear more and more about this congregation that when you go to Rushwood Church, people love you there. When you go to Rushwood Church, people care about you. When you go to Rushwood Church, I feel invited in. We hear that more and more people saying, I feel welcome. There's a spirit of welcome. There's a spirit of acceptance. Not that we accept everything, but there's a difference in accepting everything and accepting everyone. And I pray that we're always a congregation. We're always a people that accepts everyone as created in the image of God. People that Jesus died for. And you guys are doing an excellent job of that. I want to fan the flame on that a little bit if I can, okay? Because we're already doing a good job in that area. I want to encourage you, reach out more and more. Be more and more loving. When you see a new person here, maybe, and I know everybody's nervous because they think maybe they've been coming here for six months and I don't know them yet. It's okay. It's okay. Go up and tell them, I don't believe I've talked to you. Have we met before? Continue to fan into flame that gift that God has given you of hospitality. That is a spiritual gift and I believe that we as a congregation have that spiritual gift, and that's a gift that's in operation here. I'm proud of that fact. I'm proud when people say, I came to Rushwood and I felt so welcomed, I felt so loved. Continue to build on that. I think that's something good, guys. So give yourselves a round of applause, but also know that God put that gift in you. Continue, continue to build on that, and know that I, as your pastor, I'm very proud to hear that. That, that, that makes me swell with good pride. Um, when I hear those sort of things. Well, I hope you guys had a great week of the 4th. I hope you had some time with family. I hope you had some time with friends. I hope you acted appropriately during the week of the 4th. I hope you enjoyed everything that went on uh, this past week. And I want to thank you for worshiping with us today. I told some folks, I said, man, this has the potential to be the lowest attended Sunday of the year. We don't have anything necessarily quote-unquote special going on, but I always think it's special when we come together and we seek God's face. We don't have any sort of special events. We don't have a meal. It's right after July 4th. I said, this might be the lowest attended Sunday of the year, but you guys showed up, so I'm really, really appreciative of that, that you're here to worship with us today. And last week I told you we are beginning a new series. And this is going to be a long series. It's called The Bible's Greatest Hits. The Bible's Greatest Hits. I want to talk about some of the most famous scriptures, some of the most famous stories in this good book right here. I want to, I want to break some of those down and highlight some of those. This year I wanted to teach you guys things that I think if you're going to be a good, a good Christian, if you're going to be able to follow God in a positive way, you need to know those things. And so this fits in with kind of our, our mission 
for this year. Um, this series is going to be so long, it it's going to take us all the way till September 29th. September 29th is our Sunday we call our Fall Family Fun Fest. It's kind of alliterative there, you know, but uh, we, we have that every year. We've enjoyed having that. We have a, a catered meal that we have brought in. We have all sorts of activities for families, and it's kind of a welcome back, kind of welcome back to church. It's after Labor Day. It's after everything kind of revs back up. School will be back in by then which we're a homeschool family, so that means my kids walk from the bedroom to the kitchen. But some of you have a different kind of setup than that. Um, so all sorts of things. But this is going to be a long series culminating that week on September 29th. And I'm going to highlight scriptures like John 3.16. That'll be next week. Probably for many years the most famous scripture uh, was John 3.16. And so we're going to break that one down. We're going to look at the Lord's Prayer. We're going to look at the 23rd Psalm. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and then maybe some that you've heard, but maybe you could, could not identify necessarily where it comes from, but you've heard those scriptures before. And so I think this is going to be a great series to invite people who are checking out church, checking out Christianity, checking out where they want to put their faith, what do they want to build their life upon. This will be a great series to invite people, and so I'm going to ask that you do that. I'm going to ask that you invite some friends to come along on this journey with you. I think it's going to be well worth it. I think it's going to be a great place to plug in and kind of get introduced to church, get introduced to Rushwood Church, but more importantly, to get introduced to the Word of God and the power that's there. So you guys, can you do that for me? Not if you can do that for me. You can invite some people. You can bring some people along with you on this journey. I had an agnostic professor when I was at UNCG. He was a religion professor, and he was agnostic, and he said, Brent, what is the point of Christianity? And I said, to get to heaven and to take everybody you can with you. And I was right then in 2000 or whenever that was, and I'm right now. It's to get to heaven it's to, and to take everybody we possibly can with us along on that journey. So I want to encourage you to do that, and I want to encourage you to invite people. It's a great way to witness. But today I want to begin talking about a sermon. Last week we, we talked about Jeremiah chapter 29. Today I want to begin with 10 ideas that change the world. 10 ideas that change the world, also known as the 10 commandments. And I want you to plug this into your mind if you can. There's a couple of places in the Bible where we find the 10 commandments. But if you can do this, I'd like for you to memorize Exodus 20. Exodus 20, that's where we find the Ten Commandments. That's where they're listed. It's good to know the address of certain things in the Bible. And so I'd love for you to plug that into your memory banks. Exodus 20, that is the easiest place that we can find these Ten Commandments that change the world. Let me give you a little background on how the Ten Commandments, because you always need context. You always need context. And so let me give you a little background about the Ten Commandments. The children of Israel... God had started out, he was going to bring them to the land of promise. He was working with this guy named Abraham. Abraham was the father of faith. He stepped out on faith. God said, I'm going to send you to a land that I'm going to show you, but he didn't tell him where it was. And so Abraham had to step out on faith. And through a series of events, Abraham's family began to grow. And God began working with this family that would become a nation called Israel. Israel eventually comes to a point, there's a famine in the land some of the brothers had sold their brother Joseph into slavery down in Egypt. And God had raised Joseph up in Egypt to prepare the way to protect his family. By the way, when you read about Joseph in the Bible, he is a type of Jesus Christ. He is a type of Jesus who prepared the way for us, his brothers and sisters in humanity, to protect us and to get us through this world. And so you can see a type of Jesus in Joseph. So they went down, and Joseph protected them. And during this famine, Joseph provided food for them. He was second in command in Egypt. But they were never supposed to stay there. They were only supposed to visit. They were only supposed to come down during this time of need and then return back to the promised land God had shown them. But instead, they camped out there. We can be like that in life sometimes, church. Sometimes there's just a season God is bringing us through. There's just a, a time that God is bringing us through. And we need to keep moving because he's got something even greater for us, but we camp out there. Amen, Brent. That was good. Let me try that again. We camp out where God has never meant for us to camp out. 
We stay where he's never meant for us to stay. He's got something better. I always warn people, before God brings something great into your life, oftentimes Satan will tempt you with a counterfeit or something that's lesser or something that's not as good. But sometimes God did mean something for you, but he only meant it for a season. He didn't mean it for the rest of your life. He meant you to keep moving. But you camp out where God never intended you to camp out. And because of this, the children of Israel become slaves in Egypt. They become slaves in Egypt. 430 years, they're enslaved in Egypt. Then God raises up a deliverer, a man named Moses, protects him from Pharaoh, protects him from the murder of these innocent children, protects him so that he can lead his people out of slavery and to the promised land. Actually, we know the story of Moses. He didn't get to go in, but he led them to the border of the promised land. And then Joshua led them in. There's a sermon there I'll preach sometime, but that won't be today. But so for 430 years, they had been slaves in Egypt. And they had been in Egypt so long that Egypt got inside of them. They had been there so long. They had been surrounded by that culture for so long. They acted more like Egyptians than they acted like the people of God who were set apart for a special purpose. No doubt they dressed like Egyptians. No doubt they ate Egyptian food. No doubt they had some sort of relationship with the Egyptian gods at one, at one time or another. They had become, Egypt had gotten inside of the people of God as they had been inside of Egypt. And so the first thing that God sets about doing after he delivers them from Egypt, after he removes his children from that place, is he starts to give them a new culture. How do you give a new culture? Well, God gave a new culture through his word. He gave a new culture through his laws. And I know when you, when you read the Old Testament, and I hope you're reading your Bible, I hope you're in God's word, but when you read the Old Testament, we bog down in the law a lot of times. A lot of times it's tough for us to understand. A lot of times we don't understand why God made the decisions he made and said the things he said. And so people really get into that. And by the way, a lot of times people will tell you, as a Christian, you're supposed to keep, why don't you keep all this Old Testament law? As a Christian, if you believe the whole Bible, why don't you keep this? We don't keep it because we're not under the law anymore. We're under the grace of Jesus Christ. We've been freed from that law. But the law had a purpose, and that purpose was to give the people of God a new culture, to change them from being Egyptian in their thinking to being godly in their thinking. And so the heart of this law is called the Ten Commandments, or sometimes Hebrew scholars, Jewish scholars will call them the Ten Words or the Ten Matters or the Ten Sayings of God. And you will, people will tell you, political scientists, those who've studied law, those who have studied culture, those who have studied sociology will tell you much of Western culture in which we live, the culture that has been built around us was based on these ten commandments, these ten ideas. I don't have time. I almost showed it this morning, but I know with ten points i got to keep moving. There's a guy named Dennis Prager online. He does a thing called Prager U. You can, he's a Jewish scholar. He's a Jewish apologist, if you will. And he takes you through the Ten Commandments. He's got a series on YouTube that's really strong that teaches about the Ten Commandments. I didn't have time to show that to you today, but that'd be something awesome for you to check out. But anyway, a lot of our culture was built on these ten matters, these ten sayings. And so today I want to teach you these ten sayings. I want to just give you a survey. I just want to give you an overview. And I know this can be kind of dry and it could be kind of boring. So I'm going to try to teach you in a different way these ten commandments. I'm going to try to teach you where you can remember what number each of the commandments are. Years ago when I, when I taught middle school, uh, I was the Fellowship of Christian Athletes sponsor. And I was blessed. We had, at its peak, we had about 70 kids who would come into my classroom on Wednesday mornings or Friday mornings for prayer and, and, uh, and sometimes Bible exposition and sometimes worship and just we did all sorts of different things. But I had two girls, I think they were probably in seventh grade at that time, but I had two young ladies who taught me this. They taught me a way on my hands, on my fingers to remember the Ten Commandments. And so I want to teach that to you today. And I know this may seem a little bit elementary, but it's very helpful in remembering this. And it'll also make what could be kind of a dry sermon a little more fun, okay? So if you'll bear with me today, I'm going to teach you on your fingers how to remember the Ten Commandments. Are you ready for that? And then we're going to talk through them, and we're going to get done, and we're going to get out of here, and we're going to beat the Baptist to the chicken hut today, okay? That's our goal. That's what we're going to try to do. We'll see. 
don't take offense. It's just a joke. It's just a joke. All right. Commandment number one. Everybody hold up your index finger for me. This one's easy. Commandment number one. You notice you're already pointing up. You're already saying one. The commandment is very simple, simplified. Keep God first. One God. He's first. He's number one. He's above us. He's greater than we are. You can remember that one pretty easy. Exodus chapter 20 verses 1 through 3 says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. In other words, God's saying, I'm number one. Thou and thou only first in my heart, the song says. We're supposed to keep God first in our heart. He's supposed to be number one. No other gods. I talked about that last week. There is no God and. There is no Jesus and. Okay, it's God by himself. He's above everything. Ourselves, our families, this world, our jobs, whatever. He's above that. God is number one. There's a reason for this. God is not selfish. God is not arrogant. God knows that if we keep him first, that's what's best for us. He loves us. He wants what's absolutely best for us. And so he says, keep me first because there's nothing else that you can put in my place that will be good for you. You have to keep me first. You have to keep me. And basically all the other commandments are summed up in this first commandment. Keep God first in your life. You know, most of us today are not tempted to put Baal first. We're not tempted to put Zeus or Thor or some god like that or Krishna. We're not tempted to put these false gods that have names that are worshipped by other religious systems. Most of us are not tempted to put those entities first. And by the way, the Bible tells you that behind all these false gods there are really demonic spirits. There is some religious power in some of this because the Bible tells us it's false spirits, it's, it's evil spirits posing as false gods. There is demonic power behind some of this stuff. But we're not tempted probably to put those things first in our culture. But we are tempted to put some other things first before God. We're tempted to put popularity. Kids who are in school it probably does not increase your social standing to be an outspoken Christian these days. It did not increase my social standing to be an outspoken Christian in my day, and I know it's even worse now. If you want to be popular, you, you, are, you are going to be tempted to put God second or third or fourth or on down the line as you go to school every week, as school starts back in the fall. You're going to be tempted to be popular and put that above God. I think one of the gods of America is comfort. We love to be comfortable. We don't want anything to be hard. We don't want anything to be tough. We're so blessed in this country. We're so blessed. I mean, imagine how many millions of people around the world would love to walk into a, an air-conditioned kitchen and open up a refrigerator and have food stocked all in there. And all they have to do is grab some food, warm it up. Millions around the world, that is not an option for them. But it is very, it is very easy for us. That's just standard for us, we're so blessed. We're so blessed. We come into an air-conditioned room with padded pews, with screens in front of us, with a worship team that's worked to, to, on, with instruments that are new or at least in good shape to lead us to the throne of God. I mean, we're so blessed. Imagine one Sunday if we cut off the air condition and you had to stand all service. And you had to walk 20 miles to get here. I wonder how many folks would show up. But around the world, that's standard. Around the world, that's what their experience is. We are so blessed in this country, and we can be so tempted to put comfort above God. If it makes me uncomfortable, I'm not going to do it because my comfort comes first. We're tempted to put success from a worldly point of view. By the way, God calls faithfulness success. If you want to be faithful in God's eyes, or a successful in God's eyes, be faithful. That's what he calls success. Entertainment. Woo! Entertainment. Man, it's amazing that we will sometimes put entertainment, things that we enjoy, above God. I won't even go down that trail right now. Sometimes we just plain put self, just ourself, just our selfishness, just what we want above God. But God says, no, you have to keep me first. There's an implicit denial in that statement. 
If you're going to keep God first, you have to deny yourself. Because naturally, we want to put ourselves first. What's the old saying? I'm looking out for number one. But God's word says there is a number one, and it's not you, Jack. It's God. He's number one. Keep him first. And so that's the first commandment. I've got to keep moving. I've got to keep moving. Number two, hold up two fingers and then turn them around like they're scissors. Okay? The second one is to cut out idolatry. It's like uh, my, my daughter loves to watch Full House. Cut you out. You remember that? That's a long time ago. But anyway, cut out idolatry. Exodus chapter 20, verses 4 through 6 says, You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or earth beneath or the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. I could easily do a whole sermon on that section right there, but I'm not going to this morning. I think in Christian history, a lot of times, we have taken this commandment to mean that Christians shouldn't do art, that Christians shouldn't work, you know, to create statues or paintings or those sort of things. I don't think that's what God is prohibiting there. When I was at Indiana Wesleyan University a few weeks ago, I, see if I can show you a statue that was up there. I love art, by the way. I have an art background. As I walked around the campus, there was this statue of Jesus, and he's working with a young man who is a potter. And it's like Jesus is there to help him in his art. He's there to help him in what he's doing. It kind of ties into us locally having so many potteries in this, in this area. But I thought, wow, what a powerful image. It means Jesus is there no matter what we do. If we're doing it under the Lord, Jesus is there to help us. If you're a teacher... I, you, I was a teacher for several years. If you're a teacher, God is there to help you. Jesus is there. If you'll seek him, if you'll put him first, he'll be there to help you in teaching young minds. He'll be there to help you to understand and to work with them. Or whatever your, perform, your job might be, Jesus is there to help you with that. But some people might say, you know, is that an idol? There's a statue. There's an image of Jesus there that somebody has created. Is that an idol? Is that wrong? Are they breaking the second commandment? I really don't think so. I don't think that's what the second commandment is about. In fact, if we study the scriptures, you'll find the first person filled with the Holy Spirit in the scriptures was an artist. His name was Bezalel. He was the one who was to design the tabernacle, to design to God's plans. And, and God filled him with the Holy Spirit and he gave him the ability to carry out the plans that God had given him. I think it's, it's kind of a pet peeve of mine. I feel like Christians have abandoned the arts to the point where it's only the secular world. It's only those who are now even anti-Christian who are involved in the arts. And arts are powerful. Images are powerful. Images communicate things that sometimes words cannot communicate. And so I don't think that they're breaking that commandment. I think we need more Christians in the arts. I think we need more artists who are Christians. The commandment is not about creating something. The commandment is about what do you worship? Do you bow down to something? Now, if I were to bow down to the statue I showed you and feel like there's a special thing that goes on in connection with that statue, then, then we're getting into the problem of worshiping an image. And back in the day, back, back when uh, Moses was trying to give them a different culture through the Ten Commandments, that was a very commonplace thing. We talked a little bit last week about patriotism, and I'm all for respecting the American flag because I know what stands behind it. But you can even make that sort of thing into an idol if you're not careful. This is a prohibition on idolatry. Keep God first. It's kind of an extension of the first commandment. Keep God first. Continue to serve Him. And don't put, don't put, I mean, I've even seen people put sanctuary furniture or special areas or things like that. They make that into an idol, like a special place where God resides. We, we have to be very careful about that. And I think that's what the second commandment is really talking about. Third commandment. Everybody hold up three fingers. Right, you got to use your imagination with me a little bit on this, but notice how that looks a little bit like a W, okay? Don't be flashing gang signs in here. That's not what we're about. It looks a little bit like a W. I want you, when you think of that, I want you to think of the Word, starts with W, the Word God. Keep the Word God 
holy. The word in quotes, God holy. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 7 says, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. In vain means without purpose. In vain means useless. You didn't have to do it. I think we have to be careful how we speak the name of God and how we use the name God or the name Jesus or any of these other holy names that are given to the one that we worship. I don't like, I don't like to hear someone say, oh my God. I just don't like it. To me, that feels like a frivolous use of the name God just as an exclamation. And I know it is such a part of our culture and it's so part of what we do. There's t-shirts that say OMG and there's all this. I, I know that, but I just, as my training, y'all, my training, can my mom... I remember one time I'd heard that, and I was going to a Christian school at the time, but I was in kindergarten, and I heard some kids say that, and I remember saying that around the house, and from the other end of the house, my mom goes, what did you say? And all of a sudden, she says, you will never say that again today. And I, it was my training kicks in when I hear that. I don't like to hear the name God taken in vain, used in a frivolous way. But I think there's more to this commandment than just that. I think we use God's name in a frivolous way when we connect God's name to evil things. When somebody says, I do evil because God made me this way. It's very common, very common in our culture. And not in just, there's probably one area that your mind goes to, but there's lots of areas where people say, I can't help it, God made me this way. I can't, they blame their sin, they blame their problems on God. I think that's using God's name in vain. Because the Bible teaches us God doesn't cause anybody to sin. That's a choice that we're making. We may have struggles. We're part of a broken world. We all have particular things that are, are tough for us to overcome. But we don't get to blame God and we don't get to say, God made me this way. I can't help it. I believe that's taking God's name in vain. I also believe it's taking God's name in vain when we do evil, when we do wickedness and we wear God's name. When we say, I'm a Christian, that Jesus is a name for God. And when we say, I am a Christian, and then we go out and we treat people like garbage, or we're selfish, or we don't care about people, or we judge people, or we whatever it might be, and then we wear the name of God, then that's using God's name in vain, because God's name has a purpose. When we wear his name, that means we are his people, and we're supposed to live and act and worship and treat other people like he would. So we have to be careful to keep the word God holy. Number four, this one's kind of fun. I don't know if you did this when you were a kid, but I know I did this when I was a kid. Did anybody ever make the little animals? Like, like when I remember in second grade with Miss Wilson and in third grade with Miss Sites, I was on my desk making the little animal. Mine was a brontosaurus. I don't know what yours was, but mine was a brontosaurus, and then it changed to an apatosaurus, and now I think it's back to being a brontosaurus. But I was a geek, so just never mind all that. But, you know, I used to make the little animals like that, run them across my desk. That's what we're doing. That's the hand signal to help you remember this. And you notice there's four feet that are down. In the old days, they used animals to work. Beast of burden, animals that worked, and so that's how they did their work was they would employ, not brontosauruses unless you were Fred Flintstone, but they employed something some sort of animal to help them do their work. I know it's a stretch, but just work with it, work with it. All right. Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you nor your son your, or your daughter, your male or your female servant, or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Two interesting things about this commandment. First of all, it's the longest commandment. If you look at Exodus chapter 20, you'll see it stands out. This one is definitely the longest, most fleshed out commandment. And the other interesting thing is it's the only Old Testament, it's the only Ten Commandments, one of the Ten Commandments that's not repeated in the New Testament. All the other commandments are somehow repeated. Thou shalt not kill, remember, uh, 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 honor your father and your mother. All those are repeated in the New Testament. This is the only one that's not repeated in the New Testament. And a lot of theologians think that it has sort of been replaced because the early church started worshiping 
on Sunday. That was the day the Lord Jesus rose from the grave. They started worshiping on the Lord's Day. So a lot of theologians will tell you this has sort of been replaced by Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25, which tells us don't forsake the assembly. In other words, don't forget to go to church. Don't forget to go together and edify each other. Don't forget to worship on the Lord's Day. But all of that aside, the concept of Sabbath is important. The concept of rest is important. I've taught on this several times. You need a day of rest. Each week, you need a day of rest. Man was not designed to work every single day without stop. And I know there are companies out there that demand that, and I know there are jobs and things out there that demand that sort of thing. But God did not design us that way. He, he designed us to have a day where we rest, where we cease from activity, where we cease from work. Mine is Friday. I have a day of rest on Friday. I don't know if you guys have noticed, but I work on Sundays. And on Saturdays, a lot of times, we have some ministry things going on as well. So sometimes I get two days of rest, but I try to always take Friday as much as I can as my Sabbath, as my day of rest, as the day I cease from activity and I cease from work, and I say, God, today I'm going to rely on you. Today, Brent is going to stop trying to fix everything and try to make everything happen. And I'm going to sit back and I'm going to rest and I'm going to focus on my family and I'm going to focus on you and I'm going to rest and I'm going to, I'm going to rely on who you are. Rely on who you are. Sabbath is very important. You know, guys, I took a sabbatical last summer. I took six weeks off. I was not here. I didn't even drive down Old Farmer Road if I could avoid it during those six weeks. And I took it six weeks and I reflected and I got refreshed and I, uh, I spent time with my family and I spent time seeking God and, and I did all these sort of things. And I'm sure there were people who did not like that concept. But I will tell you, because of those six weeks of rest, I'm still your pastor today. I was through the point of burnout where I was like, I just, I don't think, I don't know how much longer I can keep doing this. Because of that six weeks of rest, I believe I'm a better preacher, I'm a better pastor than I was before I had that time of rest. You are designed for a Sabbath. You're designed for rest. You need one day a week where you cease from activity. You simply do. It's the way that God designed things. Every week you need a full day of rest. Not only, like I said, does it recharge your batteries, but it helps you remember God is in control and you're relying on Him. You're resting and you're relying on Him. And by the way, what's so great, it tells us in the book of Hebrews, eventually we're going to get to enter into a Sabbath rest that's permanent. Permanently we're going to rest in Him. Not that we won't do anything, but we will permanently rest in Jesus Christ. All right, number five. We're doing pretty good. We may beat the Baptist to the chicken hut after all. Let's, let's keep moving. Number five, put your hand up like you're saluting somebody, like you're, like you're honoring somebody, like you're waving at somebody. This one is to help you to remember to honor your parents. Honor your parents. Exodus chapter 20, verse 12 says, Honor your father and your mother that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. My mom and dad had a translation of this, and here's how it went. We brought you into this world, and we'll take you out if need be. You know how you're going to have a long time in the land. You know how you're going to be a, have a prosperous life. You're going to do what we say. That's how my parents treated it, and that's how we treat it with our kids. But there is a promise inherent in here. Remember, this is a people. This is a nation. This is a culture that God is setting apart. And he's saying, if you want to live long in the land, if you want to be a prosperous, not just individual, but as a people, if you want to be prosperous, you need to learn to obey and honor those who gave you life. Because God works through authority. And God is the authority, and then it's parents, and then it's kids. Sometime in our culture, we get all that mixed up, and the kids seem to move up the ladder. That's not how it's supposed to be. God gave the parents authority over the kids. And I know there are parents out there who are sorry parents, and they have forfeited the right to that authority because of the way they have treated their children. I get that. I get that. But generally speaking, God then parents, then children. For society to work the way it's supposed to, kids need to honor their parents. Children need to honor their parents. Sometimes I'm out at the grocery store. I have four kids, so I'm out at the grocery store a lot. You'll always see me in Walmart. I'm there like every day of the week. That's the way it goes. But sometimes I see parents have their kids in stores and stuff, and the way those kids talk to their parents, the way they act, 
I'm thinking my days would not have been long on this earth if I acted that way. My parents would have taken me out. It, I, just, I can't think of anything worse than dishonoring your mother and your father. It's just terrible. It should, it should not be put up with. It should not be allowed. But a lot of times our kids act in a way we have allowed them to act. Jordan Peterson, who's kind of a conservative thinker, he said, do not let your children act in a way that makes you hate them. In other words, it's your job to discipline them. It's your job to make them act a certain way. Parents, you're in control. You're not their best buddies. You're not their best friend. You're mom and your dad, and you need to act like it so they'll act like it. Amen? <laughs> honor your parents. Honor your father and mother. Number six. All right. I'm going to have to lay my microphone down for a minute, okay, because now, now we're moving into the area of two hands, all right? is on the screen the southern gun culture I think is coming out anyway Exodus chapter 20 and verse 13 actually says the best literal translation is you shall not murder now guys there are times there's a difference between murder and killing sometimes in war it is necessary to protect a nation to protect families sometimes it's necessary in war for killing to happen and I believe you know there's lots of people who have discussed that but I believe there is a time for that in fact in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 it says there's a time to kill murder is something different murder is the taking of an innocent life on purpose the removal of an innocent life and the Bible teaches us very clearly you shall not murder sometimes in self-defense sometimes in war killing has to happen but Implicit in this is that all life is valuable. All life is created in the image of God. You shall not murder. I don't know if you guys saw, I was just reading about it this morning. Three teenagers, I think it was Winston-Salem, drove by, shot a five-year-old kid, killed him. So you've got three teenagers whose lives are ruined. You've got this little boy who lost his life. You got this family that is no doubt grieving. Their kids outside playing, and these guys come by, and he loses his life. Do you see the damage that's done there? And it's not only this little boy whose life was ended, but all the future generations that might have come from him. Those lives were ended. We are in a culture that does not respect life the way we need to. And I've already told you the reason for that before. The reason for that is we don't respect life in the womb. So how are we going to respect it after it's born? The Bible tells us bloodshed touches bloodshed. We have, unfortunately, a culture of death. But praise God, I believe his church is going to do something about that. I believe the church is going to rise up and we're going to speak up and we're going to change the culture of death in this world to a culture of life. I love animals. Animals are great. We have dogs. We have geckos, we have fish, we have all sorts of things around our house. I love animals, but people are created in the image of God. We're created in God's image. We are special. The animals are below us. In fact, it tells us early on in Genesis, we're supposed to have dominion over the animals. I love animals, but human life is above that. We have lost the respect for human life in this culture, and we need to get it back. And it's our job, because we're called to be the salt and light. It's our job to help that to return. Do not murder. Do not murder. Number seven, again, lay the microphone down. Couple of fingers. Use your other hand to point to where the wedding ring should be. Be faithful to your spouse. Be faithful to your spouse. Exodus chapter 20, verse 14 says, you shall not commit adultery. Well, what's adultery? Adultery is voluntary sexual intercourse between a married person and a person who is not his or her spouse. I had a Bible college professor one time, his son, asked him on the way home from probably a, a sermon much like this, Daddy, what's adultery? And he said, it's when people who aren't married to each other pretend like they're married to each other. It's a pretty good way to explain it to a kid. Why is adultery wrong? Let me give you three reasons. Number one, Adultery destroys marriages. 
Marriages are a symbol of Jesus and his church. It's not to be destroyed. It's a covenant, not a contract. It's supposed to last. It's supposed to endure. It's supposed to be till death do us part. Unfortunately, in this culture, and by the way, let me, let me take this track for just a second. We are so hard on gay marriage. And I am not a proponent for gay marriage. If you go out there and say that I am, you're lying. I'm not a proponent for that. But the heterosexual community did a whole lot to destroy marriage in the way that we treated it. No fault divorce, adultery, all this stuff. We had gone a long way in destroying marriage before Barack Obama and the Supreme Court and all that stuff happened. Unfortunately, in our culture, marriage is something that's treated lightly. It's treated like something we'll try out for a little while, and then if it doesn't work, we'll move on. That's not God's image of it. God's image is until death do us part. Now, it creates a problem because it's so in our culture. And I want, to, I want to point this out to you. The Bible says that God hates divorce. In the book of Malachi, it says God hates divorce. It does not say God hates divorcees. There's a difference there. God hates the sin, but he doesn't hate the person. And sometimes the church has gone too far the other direction, and we've hated the person. And that's never right either. So in a couple of weeks, I'm not going to spend a long time on this point because in a couple of weeks, in a few weeks, I'm going to preach about Jesus and the woman who was caught in adultery and how Jesus handled that situation. And there's two things that Jesus said. There's two lines in there that Jesus said that I think inform us when we're dealing with somebody who's caught in adultery or who's, who's caught in other sins as well. And so we'll talk about that in a few weeks. But until then, be faithful to your spouse. It's important. My wife and I went out on a date night last night, and we spent a long time talking. Spent a long time talking. I, I, I talked about how I'm not always the husband I need to be, and I talked about areas where I need to improve, and she talked about how she's not always the perfect wife and things she can do to improve. And we talked, and we saw where we were, and we spent some time working on our marriage. That helps your marriage. You need that sort of thing. But in the meantime, be faithful to your spouse. Number eight. Number eight. Hold up three fingers. Grab them with your right hand like you need to. Okay? Do, do not steal. Do not steal. I've heard it said before. I've seen a bumper sticker that said, do not steal. The government hates competition. But anyway. <laughs> bad Brent, bad Brent. All right, Exodus chapter 20, verse 15. says very simply, you shall not steal. Let me tell you a joke about this one. I guess I already have, but let me tell you another one. Elderly, there's an elderly lady at a store, and she gets her keys locked in the car. She's trying to use a coat hanger to get her car door open and couldn't get it to budge. And so she prayed, God, please send somebody by. Send somebody to help me get my car door open. About that time, a rough-looking guy on a motorcycle came up, saw her predicament, got off the motorcycle, started to help her, and within half a minute, he had her car door open. The elderly lady gave him a big hug, and she looked up to heaven, and she prayed, and she said, God, thank you. You sent this nice man to help me. The rough-looking man said, Lady, look, God didn't send me. I'm not a nice man. In fact, I just got out of prison for auto theft. The lady hugged the man again, looked back up to heaven again, and she said, Thank you, Lord. You're so good. You sent me a professional. Y'all can use that one if you want to. I stole that joke, by the way. But anyway, seriously, though, stealing is wrong because you have a right to the products of your labor and ingenuity. You have a right, things you have worked for, things you have produced, thoughts that you have, you have a right to those things. Look at it this way. If you work on something, if you spend your time producing something or making a service or whatever, and I'm able to take the benefits from that, it's like I have stolen a little piece of your life. If you spent three hours making or producing something, and I come along and I steal it, I've taken those three hours as well as the object. We have a right to what we've done. We have a right to what we've produced. A lot of times people will say, you know, the early Christians were communists. I don't know if you've ever heard this. But it's a saying that's out there. The early Christians were communists because the book of Acts says they held everything in common. They shared everything with each other. But it never says that a government made them do that. It says they did that out of their own goodwill, out of, out of loving God, out of loving each other. 
we have a right to what we've produced. We have a right to what we've made. We have a right to our ingenuity. So simply do not steal. In the, in the old days, it was a problem of stealing people. Slavery came first from theft. People were stolen and they were pressed into slavery. And by the way, it still happens. Unfortunately, with human trafficking, it's just under the radar now, but it still happens. There are more slaves in the world today than there have ever been, unfortunately, because of this thing of human trafficking. So do not steal people. Do not steal products. Do not steal property. Do not steal ideas. That's why when I preach a sermon, if I'm using somebody else's outline or I'm using somebody else's material, a lot of times I will tell you, at least I try to tell you, I got this from so-and-so because I don't want to pass it on as my idea. I don't want to pass it on as my property when I was using it, borrowing it from someone else. Don't steal anything. Simply do not steal. Pretty easy one. Number nine. Number nine. Now, this, this one I can do with one hand. Just picture that this hand's up, but put one thumb on your hand and raise it up like you're testifying, like you're, like you're in court, and you're solemnly swearing to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 16 says, You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. I don't think that just means in a courtroom. Summarize that, it just means do not lie. Don't lie, period. In John chapter 14, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In John chapter 8, Jesus said that Satan is a liar and the father of lies. When we tell the truth, we line up with God. When we tell a lie, we line up with Satan. I could stop this point right there, and that would probably cover it well enough. But I need to go on and say probably that we cannot have authentic relationships with each other if we're lying to each other. I can't truly know you. I can't truly know how to interact with you unless we're authentically real with each other and telling the truth. And even when the truth hurts, even when we don't want to tell the truth, God calls us to be people of truth. How can we carry the good news about Jesus and expect people to believe us if we're lying about everything else? We need to be a people of the truth. We need to be people who follow Jesus in that. Therefore, do not lie. Number 10. Number 10. Two hands like you're grabbing something. Two hands like you're holding something. All 10 fingers. Do not covet. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 17 says, You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Now, coveting is not saying, just saying, Hey, I wish I had a car like so-and-so. That's not what it's saying. I'd like to go out and I'd like to buy a car just like what they have. That's not really what it's saying. Coveting is when you make plans in your heart to acquire something that somebody else already has. You're planning and you're plotting and you're working to get that thing that somebody else already has. This is the only one of the Ten Commandments that is about a thought and not an action. Coveting is a thought. Coveting is in the heart. Coveting is not necessarily doing anything, but it can lead to theft. It can lead to murder. It can lead to all sorts of other issues. Wanting what other people have can be a bad thing, but ultimately this sin is against God and his goodness to us. When I have to have what somebody else says, that basically says to God, God, you've not been good enough to me. God, you have not provided well enough for me. God, uh, I need something else, something that you have not provided, something that you have not done. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5 says, Make sure your character is free from the love of money being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. Church, let me just boil that down for you. If you have God, you have enough. If you have God, you have enough. You don't have to covet what somebody else has. You don't have to covet their abilities or their looks or their thoughts or anything else. What God has given you is enough because we serve a good God, and he's told us he'll provide all our needs. So coveting is ultimately a sin against the goodness of God. Well, guys, that is a quick tour. That is a quick survey of the Ten Commandments. And that's, that's a lot of points to cover in one sermon. Thank you guys for staying plugged in with me. But let me sum, summarize it this way. 
If these, in these commandments, God's heart is revealed to us. The way he wants us to think about things. The way he wants us to act. This is God's heart to us. And it's great to keep the commandments. But it's even, more, it's even better to have God's heart on the matter. It's even better, better to think God's thoughts and feel how God feels and to relate to each other the way that God would have us to relate to each other. We should be after God's heart. It's legalism. If we just keep rules, that's legalism. And that takes us really nowhere in the end because you can do the right thing out of the wrong motives. What we need to be after is not just keeping the Ten Commandments. What we need to be after is having God's heart. And so we're going to end today singing a song about having God's heart, returning to His heart, having a soul that's on fire because we think the way that God thinks and we love the way that God loves and we, we relate to people the way that God would have us to relate to people. And so this is an older song. We haven't done this one here in a while, but I think you're going to enjoy it. And it talks about returning to the heart of God. Maybe you need to return to the heart of God on some of these issues. It's okay. The great thing about God is He allows 180s, He allows U-turns, He allows you to come back to where you need to be. So this morning, let's stand. The worship team is going to lead us in this song. And let's have some fun with it this morning, okay? Let's sing about having a soul on fire, a soul that wants what God wants for us. Y'all know this. Help me out. Oh, oh, fire, Lord, I'm longing for your way. 
Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks that you do give us your word. You give it as a guide. You give it as a teacher. You give it as, a, as something we can follow. But God, I thank you that you also give us your Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives us the ability to follow the word. And God, we pray that your spirit within us would increase. Our flesh would decrease and you would help us to follow hard after you. God, we love you. We praise you. Thank you for meeting with us today. Thank you for being here. God, we praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. And we all said together, amen. I love you and there's nothing you can do about it. See you Wednesday night to walk. God, pray that God gives you a great week this week.